Welcome to AudioPie's English Literature and Language Show. You can dip into huge chunks of over 19 series for free and learn on the go. Happy listening, everyone. All hail Macbeth, hail to thee, fane of glass. All hail Macbeth, hail to thee, fane of cordial. All hail Macbeth, thou shalt be king hereafter. Hello again, and welcome to Act One, Scenes Three and Four. You've just heard the prophecy of Act One, Scene Three. The witches on the heath describe Macbeth with three titles: Thane of Glams, which he knows he is already; Thane of Cawdor, which we know he is about to become, but he doesn't; and King, which is most shocking of all. Yes, this scene opens with the witches, the weird sisters. Again on the heath, and at last Macbeth appears on the stage, accompanied by Banquo, his best friend and comrade in arms. The witches make their predictions to Macbeth, and then turn to Banquo, prophesying that he will not be king, but his sons will. This said, the witches vanish. Immediately after, Ross appears. And announces the news that Macbeth is indeed now Thane of Cawdor. Macbeth and Banquo are astonished that what they had just heard from the three witches seems to have been truth, and Macbeth has a series of asides where he contemplates the significance of what he has heard, and wonders how it might become true. His thoughts turn quickly to murder, but he checks himself. So the ideas of the first two scenes are brought together here: the supernatural meets the human, and the audience finally gets to meet Macbeth and begin to judge for themselves what kind of a character he is. We've talked a lot about how the audience would react to the witches, and now there is played out on stage for us a series of different reactions to the weird sisters in Macbeth and Banquo's responses. Yes, there's confusion, of course, as the two men cannot understand how the witches were able to vanish into the air or melt into the wind. Shakespeare uses metaphysical language here to emphasise the supernatural powers of the weird sisters. We're meant to be amazed too. Banquo attempts to rationalise what they have seen, suggesting that they have perhaps eaten the insane root that takes reason prisoner. He proposes that they might be hallucinating, thereby introducing another of the play's crucial themes: insanity. It would be hard to portray this scene with the witches as simply a figment of Macbeth's imagination, though, precisely because Banquo sees them too. It's actually Banquo who suggests a second, more plausible interpretation of the witches' appearance: that they are evil, sent from the devil. When he and Macbeth learn that Macbeth is indeed Thane of Cawdor, it is Banquo who exclaims, "What can the devil speak true?" He describes them as devils to imply that they are real, and he is shocked that the devil, who is called in the Bible the father of lies, can make a truthful prediction. Shakespeare has Banquo further explain the witches' motives for telling the truth when he says to Macbeth. The instruments of darkness tell us truths, win us with honest trifles, to betray us in deepest consequence. He suggests that the witches have told one small truth, 
to manipulate Macbeth into believing a bigger lie, and thereby to betray him when it really matters. And he's right, of course. Because the witches are proved right about Cawdor, Macbeth believes them about his future kingship. Deception in the play is insidious. This lie is subtle because it is preceded by a truth. Banquo's role in this scene, then, is to reveal to the audience where Macbeth is being deceived. He is the sensible voice of caution. I think that's a rather generous interpretation of Macbeth's character. Don't forget that Macbeth too hears Banquo's words of wisdom about the instruments of darkness. It's not just for the benefit of the audience. And instead of listening to the warning, Macbeth willfully ignores Banquo and instead focuses on his own excitement about the witch's third prophecy. Macbeth says, Two truths are told as happy prologues to the swelling act of the imperial theme. Just listen to those adjectives. Happy, swelling and imperial. He describes his own joy, his belief in his increasing importance and his belief that he will indeed become king. Because imperial relates to empire and kingship. So yes, it's true that the witches are out to deceive Macbeth, but it's not really very difficult. It's almost as though they just tell him what he wants to hear. That's not quite true, because even Macbeth isn't completely convinced by them. He says that their prophecy cannot be ill, cannot be good. And Shakespeare deliberately uses what's called parallelism, a repeated phrase structure, to emphasise his uncertainty. He's tempted, yes, but he is also hesitant about what he has heard, and he doesn't immediately leap to do what the witches seem to be suggesting. Instead, he says that chance may crown me without my stir. Meaning that he might well become king without him having to do anything at all. I suppose that depends on how the line is read. If you put the emphasis on that auxiliary verb, may, as in chance may crown me without my stir, you can hear that Macbeth is not convinced by this idea and is already considering murder. And he continues to think about regicide in Act 1, Scene 4. And anyway, the witches don't even suggest that Macbeth commit regicide. They just say that he will be king hereafter. They don't say how, and they certainly don't give him any instructions about what to do next. True, but given that there is already a king and a line of succession, of which Macbeth is not part, it's quite clear to me that he is going to have to take steps to make this prophecy come true. That's the ultimate evil then. The witches plant the seed of an evil idea whilst remaining free of blame themselves. Okay, let's look at the structure of these two scenes and chart Macbeth's response further then. In Act 1, Scene 4, Macbeth and Banquo are greeted by Duncan, who praises them, but then names his eldest son, Malcolm, his heir. Malcolm will be king when Duncan dies. At the end of the scene, Macbeth, in an aside, acknowledges that if he is going to be king, he will have to do something about Malcolm, and hints that his thoughts have become black and deep. Shakespeare's structure in Act 1, Scenes 3 and 4, is brilliant. In Scene 3, as soon as the witches have spoken their prophecy, 
Shakespeare uses dramatic irony as Ross arrives to tell Macbeth that he is indeed Thane of Cawdor. Macbeth is captivated. And Macbeth hopes that he will be crowned by chance. But almost immediately in scene four, that hope is dashed when Duncan announces that Malcolm, not Macbeth, will inherit the throne. He believes that to be king, he will have to act himself. Thirdly, structurally, we have the juxtaposition between Macbeth and Banquo. Yes, Banquo's reaction to the prophecy about him, which is just as significant and just as imperial in theme as Macbeth's, is proportionate and honourable. He understands that the weird sisters are devils, whereas Macbeth fixates on the prophecy itself. It's as though Macbeth is so taken in by the lie that he is unable to see beyond it to its origin. And Shakespeare also reminds us of the power of deception in scene four, where Duncan discusses his disappointment about the betrayal by the previous Thane of Cawdor. He laments that, There's no art to find the mind's construction in the face. He was a gentleman on whom I built an absolute trust. Duncan's argument is really about the differences between appearance and reality. It's impossible to see inside a person's heart or mind just by looking at their face. Duncan, presumably a discerning and wise king, put absolute trust in the first Thane of Cawdor because there was nothing outwardly to suggest that he would turn traitor. Duncan is describing the fact that it is easy to be deceived, which may cause the audience to be more sympathetic to Macbeth, who is in the process of being deceived by the witches. But that's hardly a defence for Macbeth. He is being tricked, but by three women with beards who chanted and disappeared into thin air. I think the quotation about the first Thane of Cawdor is more relevant for thinking about Macbeth himself. Shakespeare is using dramatic irony, because although Duncan is speaking about the previous Thane of Cawdor, he could just as easily be thinking about the latest. Duncan has already called Macbeth a gentleman too, and is building an absolute trust on him, all the while not knowing the darkness of Macbeth's murderous thoughts. Yes, there is definitely an irony here. The second Thane of Cawdor is proving just as treacherous as the first. But I still think that Macbeth has some glimmers of goodness in him in this scene. Even when, in his aside, he seems to be murderous, there is a sense of guilt. He says, The Prince of Cumberland. That is a step on which I must fall down or else o'er leap, for in my way it lies. Stars, hide your fires. Let not light see my black and deep desires. The Prince of Cumberland is Malcolm's new title as heir to the throne. Macbeth describes Malcolm as a step. Malcolm will either prevent Macbeth's ascension to the throne, or he will be a hurdle for Macbeth to o'erleap, to get over somehow. That's an ominous threat, surely. Possibly, or a genuine anxiety that he won't become king after all. More importantly, he asks the stars to hide their light so that his black and deep desires won't be revealed. You could interpret that as a desire for his evil acts to remain hidden because they're so villainous. Or you could read it as surprise and horror at the darkness in his own thoughts. Returning to Aristotle, 
from podcast two, perhaps this is where Macbeth reveals himself as human, a character to whom we can relate, because his ambition, provoked by supernatural intervention, shocks him. Yes, he confesses that his desires are black and deep, but you could argue that he has no intention of doing anything about them, but wants them to remain hidden. Well, we know that he will soon act on those desires. And that's why it's so significant that Lady Macbeth's first appearance is in the very next scene. Before we look at scene five, consider your own opinion here. Do the witches introduce Macbeth to the idea that he could become king? Or do they simply prompt Macbeth to a dark ambition he has already been harboring? That's all for this pod. See you next time. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to search for and listen to the next episode in the series to build your topic knowledge. Hit the Acast Plus link in the show description to become a premium supporter and unlock access to every episode in every series for as long as you need. We also make GCSE and A-level content for history, RE, sociology and psychology. Happy listening, everyone.